0: Welcome to the Cosmosis Podcast. This is Justin Moses, and I'm coming to you today from the Donaldson area of Nashville, Tennessee. This is episode 13 of the podcast, and it features an interview with Ronnie Bowman. I did this interview back in December of 2015, and it's now, well, it'll be February when this comes out. I'm recording this on Sunday, January the 31st and we just got back in off uh, the first little leg of the the tour with Sierra Hall. We played three shows this past weekend. We played City Winery here in Nashville Eddie's Attic in the Atlanta area and then the Clayton Center in Maryville, Tennessee last night and I have today at home to get caught up and then uh, heading out again tomorrow to to Charlottesville, Virginia. If you're in the uh, Charlottesville general vicinity you can come out to the show on Tuesday on Tuesday not the day this comes out we'll be playing at the Southern Cafe and Music Hall there in Charlottesville that's February the second the third February the third we're playing at the Rams head on stage uh, in Annapolis Maryland February the fourth we're in Sellersville Pennsylvania at the Sellersville theater and the fifth we're at the Beacon Theater in Hopewell Virginia The 6th, we're at the Altamont Theater in Asheville, North Carolina. Then February the 9th, we're in Lake Wells, Florida, at the Lake Wells Art Center. That's the 9th and the 10th. The 11th, we're at the Lyric Theater in Stewart, Florida. The 12th, we're at the Ruby Diamond Auditorium in Tallahassee. And you can see uh, a lot more of the tour dates at right now at sierrahallcom slash tour. And very soon I'll be getting all those dates up on justinmoses.com slash schedule. But be sure to come out and see us when we uh, are in your area. And of course, Sierra's Weighted Mind record was released last Friday, so if you've not already heard it, give it a, a listen too. Check it out. Hey, and make sure to tune in to the next podcast as well. I have um, Mac Wiseman as my guest, and that was a fun interview to to do, and I think you're really going to enjoy that. I've been listening back to some of it and try to put it together a little bit, but um look forward to everybody getting a chance to hear that. That's next time on the show. I do want to say thanks to those of you who have taken the time to write and uh, give some feedback on the show. You can always do that. Send me a message to Justin at JustinMoses.com. I've gotten some uh, some interesting questions, and I'm uh, going to probably devote an episode soon just to answering your questions, so keep sending them in. If you've got anything you'd like for me to address on the show, or interviews that you'd like to hear on the show, go ahead and, and send me those. I'm interested to hear what you got to say. And today's not going to be a long intro. I'm going to get right into the interview soon, but I did want to talk about today's guest a little bit before I get right into it. Ronnie Bowman is someone that uh, I've admired... His worked for a long time. He uh, He's a multi-time IBMA male vocalist of the year. I've been following his singing uh, ever since his days in the Lonesome River Band, which we talk about in the interview. Now, if you're not already a fan of Ronnie's, I uh, do definitely want you to, in addition to the, the band of rooks, the band he's in now, I want you to check out his uh, solo records. Starting with Cold Virginia Night, and then uh, The Man I'm Trying to Be, third release was starting over and then it's getting better all the time. All four of those records are just phenomenal and they have a who's who list of uh musicians and uh and singers on there with him in addition to his um, great singing and playing and uh and songwriting. Uh all those records were really influential on me if you've not heard Midwestern Town song off of his man I'm trying to be record you need to hear that uh you need to hear the uh the intro to that record done by Ron Block love for an angel that's one of the the most uh copied and jammed songs from that record that uh, there's people just love that intro it's a great banjo kick off if you're into that kind of thing Uh, The intro to the title track of the Starting Over record with uh, Tim Stafford doing it on the guitar. That's also a very memorable song intro. Anyway, I can sit here and uh, point to uh, all kinds of things that I like about Ronnie's records. He has Dale McCurry on his uh, first record, Cold Virginia Night, singing with him on I'm Nowhere Bound. It's just a lot of great material and uh, great performances, so I I would recommend you checking them out. Let's get right into it, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy this interview with Ronnie Bowman. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, Thanks for being on the podcast today. How
1: are you doing? I'm doing good, Justin, and how about yourself today?
0: Doing real good.
1: Well, uh, congratulations on your podcast. I hear it's going really good, and um, hello to uh, all the people who's listening in.
0: Yeah, you never know. Like, uh there could be a lot of people listening immediately. There could be people listening weeks, months down the road. You just never know with these sorts of things. You That's never the cool, know. Cool thing about it.
1: It is cool.
0: So uh what's on your agenda these days?
1: Well, um getting real excited about the uh my songwriting. I've had a had a few cuts lately. Uh I got a song Actually, I got three songs on the new Chris Stapleton Traveler album, which is really, really cool. Songs that uh, I had written with Chris, you know, a while back. Also, uh, now uh, a song that I wrote with Chris Stapleton and Barry Bales uh, is a song called "Nobody to Blame." Is Chris's uh, current single right now? So, mm-hmm. anybody out there listening to this podcast, call your local radio station and ask <laughs> for that song. <laughs> yeah, well, Chris uh,
0: just won. He just took home all kinds of awards. I at know the,
1: uh, everything he was nominated for at the CMAs. Uh-huh. He just he took them home. It was he got male vocalist and new artist and album of the year and and I was real happy about you know all of his uh, accolades that night. And uh, nobody deserves them any more than he does. Um, I was real fortunate to meet Chris. Um, Downtown here in Nashville, one night I, uh, Garnet and my wife and I, we went out to uh, this uh, restaurant uh, slash bar called the Red Door, and uh, they're not paying me for any endorsements here. So, <laughs> but the truth is, is, so we met them there, and and uh, Chris Stapleton happened to be there, and we got to uh, talking and. And he says, he says, "Oh my, you're Ronnie Bowman." He says, "Man, I've listened to you so much because he's from Kentucky, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, from uh, uh, his roots are grounded firmly in bluegrass music and 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 country, and he can do anything, rock. Just I, I tell him sometimes I'm joking with him, you know, Chris, but i didn't love you so much, man. I'd have to hate you <laughs> because anybody that talented is just it's he's a pleasure to be around and." Anyway, so talking about going back to uh, that, that album, uh, I was fortunate enough to have three songs that I co-wrote with Chris on that Traveler album, and and it, it took home the uh, the CMA album of the year. And I hear that uh, he's up for about four Grammys, mm-hmm. which is the Grammys are coming up here very soon. And yep. So we're looking forward to seeing how that goes for him. Big stuff, yeah. You notice how I'm kind of deferring you Know everything about me to someone else because <laughs> enough about you. Let's talk about me, <laughs> right? Right? Well,
0: let's uh circle back around the songwriting here in just a little bit, but let's talk for uh, a few minutes about uh the, the band of rooks, which is the band you're currently in and currently mm-hmm. traveling around with.
1: Yeah, band of rooks, uh, Kenny Smith, uh, Don Rigsby, myself, and uh justin you played a big part in that and you still do at times uh we just we enjoy having uh someone like you coming in and playing whatever we need the the, the fiddle or the dobro or you played banjo with us and uh and uh right now our our current banjo player who who joined on full time with us is his name is john meyer he's a he's a young feller uh now that's all relative to how old oneself is, but uh, anyway, he's a, he's a nice young man. He plays really good solid solid banjo, and and probably has some of the best hair I've ever seen in bluegrass. I I know some people said that they have the best hair in bluegrass. I I used to have some pretty good hair in bluegrass, but uh, you know. I, I'm I'm passing that title down to whoever wants that one.
0: <laughs> John's the next guy in line, I guess. Yeah, he,
1: yeah. And so we, uh, you, and you know how it is. You've been out with us, and you know we've uh, kind of got our own sound now compared to where we were when the three of us were members of the Lonesome River Band. Uh, we've all went out and done solo projects and done many things. Kenny, of course, you know him, Kenny and Amanda Smith band. And then Don Rigsby, he's done all sorts of things with, uh, from teaching college to, uh, you know, doing documentaries and, and, you know, singing with Ralph Stanley. And, you know, I I went on and, you know, put a band together, called the committee and went out and played some bluegrass shows and some of my solo records. And, uh, Been down here in Nashville, Tennessee, writing songs now for probably since 2001. I came down in 2001, so yeah, shoot, it's almost 2016. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming up on my 15 years down here doing that songwriting thing, and the uh, so we we recorded the record up at Scott Vestal's place, and you know, of course, we've had some. You know, some uh, guest banjo stars like yourself uh, <laughs> that's come in and played. And Scott was definitely one of those. And we've had Ron Stewart, uh, Jason Burleson, um, Rob McCurry. Uh-huh. Um, I hope I'm not leaving anyone out. But uh, no, anyway, Kevin Haney played that. Kevin uh, Haney, yeah. yes. Ke- yeah, Kevin Haney. He came and filled in for us some too. And, and so we've been lucky because when we started, we really didn't know who we wanted on the banjo. I mean, because you know, it, it's not just about playing the banjo. It's about personality. It's right. about being able to travel. Um, you know, there's a there's a certain way that you, you know you have to you know uh, to act. You know, and <laughs> when you're around people, and I mean, you don't want to take someone. You know, to to a show and they jump out of the bus or something and take off running around crazy with the banjo playing around. They'll either get arrested or we'll get fired. But no, but, but, but on a serious note, yeah, we uh, we've been very fortunate to have that, and so we went in up at Scott's and we started the album, and you know, we really didn't know what we were going to do other than we knew that the songs we were going to play, you know, we kind of had an idea what what. You know we knew what we sounded like together and that was a good thing but it was also a bad thing as in the sense that we kind of when we got back together we sounded like we did when we quit mm-hmm. you know a lot like the you know three of the four members of the lonesome river band excluding sammy sheeler but so we we had to uh go back and you Know, re record some tracks and just cut some of them completely out because we sounded too much like ourselves, for lack of a better word. Uh, but we sounded, uh, we sounded like things that we'd already done, and, and we didn't want to just go back and just sound like we did, you know, the 10 15 years before when we left. So, right? Well, there's already a, a band called the Lonesome River Band
0: that's still playing, and um. Uh, I, you know i'm sure we all that's important and they, and to and that establish sound, yeah. a separate identity
1: yeah so we will, we we just wanted to sound different and uh create something that we could be proud of and would enjoy making and so that basically come down to the to you know which it always does picking songs and so we chose songs that kind of we weren't necessarily the most comfortable with when we started trying to learn how to play them. Mm -hmm. But over a period, you know, of the recording process, you know, we became, it kind of like became part of us. And those songs led us to the next song. And, and we also put some, you know, songs that on there, like here comes a broken heart again, written by Sean Lane and Barry Bales, which is really reminiscent of the LRB and you know because we didn't want to get so far outside the box of right. of that that people would go you know who are these guys mm-hmm. and uh but it, it the record came out really good and it was uh received really well uh, it's uh we found out on the radio airplay chart which is is a really big chart that it it involves all types of music genres from country to pop to rock and everything and once it came out we found out that i think it got was like uh i i'm going to be close here i think it got up to like the 23rd of all time downloads of any of any genre of any album and that was a you know it was a pretty big deal for us and uh, never been on a record that you know you know people downloaded so much you know i'm from the old school of of uh you know, CDs, and, mm-hmm. you know, holding physical. physical albums in your hand and opening them up and putting the vinyl on and listening to that needle, you know, spin around. And, and then, you know, of course, I graduated from that to to CDs, but this download thing's a whole different thing, a whole ballgame for me.
0: I do think that... Uh... Since y'all played together a lot and sang together a lot, um, there is a certain identity in the in the band that's tied into that. And I think uh, you know, with your the three of your all's vocals, there can't help but be a, a connection to that because it's a very distinct sound. It's it's a sound that a lot of people enjoyed before, but you're applying that to uh, to different songs and newer songs. So, talk about how you uh, maybe chose the songs. I know you wrote some of them, but uh, yeah. the ones you didn't write. What was the process of figuring out which songs to to actually make it to the record? Well,
1: I guess the difference would be for me listening before. See, the Lonesome River Band had already had its identity from from when Tim Austin started the band. Right. You know, years pr- uh, prior to us even being there, and then. Uh, and then, you know, it had so many great players that's been through there, you know, mm-hmm. Adam Steffi, Dan Taminski, and, right. you know, and the list goes on and on. But um, so uh, when I first heard the Looking for Yourself uh, project uh, that was recorded up at Duby Shea, um, that's. I really, really got turned on to the band and I became a fan mm-hmm. of that album. Yeah, And I went up to. Uh, to Alan Mills' house of uh, of, uh, Lost and Found. And they had a get-together, you know, a a little picking party and stuff, and Tim Austin was there, and so he asked me, you know, could I play bass? And uh, would I be interested in being in the Lonesome River Band? And, of course, I could play bass, and uh, I felt like I could sing a little bit. But I uh, didn't really know how difficult playing the bass and singing is. <laughs> if it's not something that it, it's natural for some people, like yeah. John Cowan, he does it and he does it fantastic, you know. Right. But I had to, I had to learn, you know, how to do that. Mm-hmm. But
0: now getting back, oh, I was just asking how you chose was, the chose song. The songs. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I had to go off on everything else. No, okay. that's good. We we want to get to that too, though. Yeah. oh um, Yeah, but choosing the songs. Um, same process, just we just we knew we wanted to sound different, but we didn't know exactly what that meant to us at the time. So we recorded a few songs and and we sounded like our old self, and it actually could have been something that we recorded years ago, but just never came out. so we got rid of that and then we just kept playing songs and then I'd ask, you know, uh, some other of uh, my songwriter friends which I've been very blessed to know but being down here in Nashville for a while and writing songs. I I'd, I I'd, I'd, I'd met a lot of songwriters and written with with a lot of them too. So we just started playing songs and if we went in and we pit, played it a little bit and it jailed, you know, we put the track down and and uh and the good thing about doing that record is it was all recorded you know live i mean no there were overdubs mm-hmm. you know surely but like to, when we were tracking you know we put the track down and we kept playing the track till we found till the track felt good right. you know and then right. if we needed to fix a few things or add some harmonies or something we started doing that and so once those songs started coming together and it sounded good and the track felt good well, then, that's when once we would start doing our harmonies and stuff. Then that kind of married itself, the, the, our vocals with the new sound that we had, but it still had a um, LRB uh, sense of uh, of uh, of yesterday that was attached to it. Uh-huh. That you know that that you know still we we knew what. We didn't know what we wanted, but we but once we heard it, we knew we had it, and we just kept going along with that program. So, and then, you know, because you know, I had some songs that I had written, maybe even years before we start. We cut this Band of Rooks album. Um, I played them for, you know, Kenny and Don, and and you know, and and then you know, Amanda she listened to him, and my wife Garnet listened to him, and and they gave us some of their opinions and you know i think you have to listen to opinions yeah you know and i don't think that i think you need you need to take them at, you know with a grain of salt because a lot of times they can make things better sometimes they make things worse but <laughs> to open your mind to other people's opinions of you know like song choices like i really like that song and there was uh, one song that was brought to us by Doug Howard uh, on the record called All We Need. And it's a ballad. And, you know, we ended up putting strings and stuff on a lot of it, real strings, not a synthesizer. I mean, it's an actual human being playing a, a cello, a viola, a violin, you know, a mandocello. cello. I mean, you know, things like that. But that song, I never would have thought that we would be able to pull something like that off, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's, there's a song in there called All We Need that's, Really, I mean, I could hear it on country radio by you know a, a band like Rascal Flats or someone like that, and right. and and for some reason that song fit our trio really well, and what we and it, and it and it helped build. It was just another brick in that album that made us just have a little bit more of our own identity mm-hmm. as Band of Rooks.
0: Let's go all the way back for a minute. Okay. Now, let's just talk about how you uh, how you got interested in playing music. I read in your bio you, you started at three.
1: Yeah. I started at three years old. My mom and dad played gospel music, and, and I kind of was born into a family band because, you know, I had four sisters. And my mom and dad played music. And, you know, some sisters played the piano, one played an accordion, you know, and one beat the tambourine or or whatever and 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 we all sang, and so for us, you know, growing up in North Carolina, um I remember my dad he bought a reel to reel, you know, and with you know a tape and and we would sit around and play music, and we would record, and you know we we didn't you know we 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 didn't have a lot of money, so you know we had to entertain ourselves and mm-hmm. one way that we entertained ourselves especially on the weekends would we'd invite you know people over and we'd turn on the on the tape recorder and we would sit there and record ourselves Uh and you know usually that that brought along you know people that some some people that were my age and you know and the kids be playing out in the yard and people be eating and making homemade ice cream and you know and and so, and uh, you know, I remember my mom, you know, she, she'd call out my name, and she'd ask me to come in and sing, and sometimes I didn't mind, and other times I'm like, oh, man, mom, I'm man, I'm right in the middle of something out here. I'm right in the middle of tag, you're yeah. it, you know? And anyway, so we'd go in, and we, rec- we would record, and then we would also, we would go play in churches uh-huh. in North Carolina and Virginia, mainly, and uh, kind of local yokels, and And we'd go out and play music and got started in church, which I think is the best place to start. You know, it's a great foundation. And, uh, well, it sounds
0: a lot like my background, too. Uh, Same deal, except for I didn't have siblings. I was the only child. And, uh, but my mom and dad played and uncle. And, you know, it was a family thing. and, And we traveled around that East Tennessee area right there and played in almost I mean, not every church because there's a lot of churches yeah, in that is. area but uh a good bit
1: of them you know uh-huh yeah we we would go around and 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 you know I, being a kid when you're th- you know th- 3 and growing up you know in 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 that surrounding you know once you start getting 5 and 6 and 8 and 9 years old you you're kind of thinking um uh, <laughs> you know I I'd rather be outside, you know, getting my my church clothes dirty that my mom told me not to fall down in right, you know right. because you know that those were my sunday clothes uh-huh but so anyway, we would you know we'd go to we'd go to church and get up and sing and and then sometimes you know i I really just didn't feel like it, mm-hmm. you know I just wasn't in the mood, you know, yeah, and then I remember there would be. It was a big deal back then for people to give a kid a quarter. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, yeah. a quarter was a you know it was a big <laughs> shiny thing, and and you could buy quite a bit with it. Sure, with a quarter, and it started that I would get up and sing, and 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 being in a church like that, people are very receptive, and they you know they they if you're not exactly perfect, they still encourage you to go on and, it, and it keeps yeah. you thinking, Oh, I'm getting, you know, people like it. I must mm-hmm. be doing pretty good. I'm getting better and I'm getting more quarters. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. you know, and I'd go, sometimes I'd get two or three in a night, you uh-huh. know, <laughs> And, or you know or they you know they say, go you know here's something to buy you some ice cream when you leave and uh-huh. and, and I think to this day that's why ice cream is one of my favorite foods. <laughs> and I still like to collect quarters uh-huh. you know, and you know because they make dollars right and anyway, so that got me they kind of bribed me mm-hmm. so and then once I got a taste of that, you know it's like you can't, I couldn't go back yeah. and it became part of my soul. And, you know, it was a good way for me to learn um, music was, um, I mean, because whether you know it or not, there's, man, there's a lot of math involved in it, and Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of history involved in it. Of course, all I knew was, I like the song, I'm going to sing it, and it was really fun singing with your siblings, because no matter what even if your harmonies aren't exactly the, the you know you know the perfect way to sing harmonies mm-hmm. you kind of work it out and it works for you yeah and and you make this sound that nobody else sounds like and right. and I remember hearing when they would come in my family and and they would come in with the harmonies it was like wow this sounds big you know <laughs> this is really something you yeah. know and it and, it, and, and you know and it moves you inside and you feel something and you know and there's a there's a great spirit about when that happens when something moves you and you can feel that even today. I would rather go out and and play not a, a more of an imperfect show with this this nice feel and spirit that's real mm-hmm. that's that moves me than I would rather you know want everything to be perfect and in tune and you know being in tune i mean that's all you know that's all great too that's what i strive (laughs) for yeah trust me i'm not out here not caring about pitch you know but it's not the only thing about music no and
0: and, and to be human is to be imperfect mm -hmm. and uh it's some of the best music that i've ever heard and enjoy it's not necessarily technically perfect but it's 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 perfection and it's uh imperfection
1: yes i a I man with a uh, I man there yeah. and so that's that's how i got started doing the whole singing thing was with my family and then after i got got older you know i got into you know you know Driving, getting my license, mm-hmm. and I had a little bit more, little bit more freedom. Mom and Dad would let me go out if I did, you know, you know, if I did my chores and didn't, you know, make them too mad, you know, right. and and then you know, and then of course, then you know, I've started liking girls, mm-hmm. and so that kind of took a uh, the music took a took a back seat to. To no pun intended about the back seat, you know, with a car and girls. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that the, I still had music, but now I'm playing it on the. I'm, I'm turning on the radio, right? You know, and I, you know, and if I get my courage up, I might try to put my arm around my date at the movie or something, you know, and 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 and. and but I never, I I don't ever remember living my life without music somewhere
0: so during those years like what were what were you listening to what were your things that you
1: were into okay when when I was when I when I started driving I, you know I listened to pop radio mm-hmm. a lot you know Casey Kasem's top 40 yeah you know and and that was a good era for music and pop you know because back then you know no songs sounded all alike you know every song had its 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 introduction and had verses and it went took you through this musical roller coaster so to speak you know it went down it went up it might have a different groove and and the guitar solo may go somewhere way out there that's its that is, that's its own entity and i remember listening to that music and and i really you know i got into to pop but you know i've i always loved you know uh classic rock and roll Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, Boston. I mean, that was my era, you know. I mean, when those stuff came out, you know, Molly Hatchett, Leonard Skinner uh, for Southern Rock. Uh, um, um, I guess uh, the only way I was a music snob, snob was I wanted to get as much different kinds of music as I could get because, I mean, I would, you know, sit there and, and and uh, play a gospel song, and then right behind it, you know, play a bluegrass thing, and then behind that, you know, play a country thing, and, and then a rock thing, and you know, to me, music, either I liked it or I didn't. I really didn't go for, because I cause I'd heard. I know some people. It was like I got into bluegrass and I never did nothing else. <laughs> now I right. did too, and and you know. And I and I and there's days I don't want to do anything else. And I get when I get mm-hmm. into to some good bluegrass music, I can, I can stay there and be content, you know, for for hours and days and weeks and months, right. you know. But my, but every once in a while, my taste may change, mm-hmm. you know. Just like that ice cream, vanilla's great for the first few times, but you you throw a little chocolate ice cream in there every once in a while, maybe in <laughs> that Sunday, man, you're rocking, you know. Yeah. So you, we, same way with music, right? Are
0: you, For me, I feel like I'm very, uh, moody with music. Like if I'm in a certain mood, I want to hear a certain thing and, and, and I don't want to hear a certain thing. Are you like that? Or do you just, is it more like if something you like, you like it and you can hear it anytime? I mean, there, I'm like that about certain things maybe, but, uh, but in other cases it's, it's more just the, the mood thing. Yeah. Well, I get
1: that way, um. I sometimes I feel like you know I, I have ADD, and other times I feel like I'm OCD, and I'm like I don't know how you can be both. Yeah. But there's sometimes some sometimes like, um, okay, I'm not a mandolin player, but I own one, and and there was a period of time there for like in the past month that, you know, I was playing the mandolin all the time for myself. I'd uh-huh. never play it out in front of anybody because yeah. I'm not embarrassing myself. Like that. <laughs> but, you know, I I would, you know, I'd come back here in the office, you know, and I'd, you know, if I wasn't trying to write a song or something, I'd just get that mandolin out and I'd pull up some Dempsey Young stuff, you know, because he's one of my favorite mandolin players okay. because he's a stylist and he had, you know, and, and I have several, but, you know, i i I've always been a fan of Dimpsey Young, so I wanted to learn how to play the mandolin break to a song that he recorded on a on a CD of mine called "The Man I'm Trying to Be," and it's the it's the kickoff to "Longing for the Old Days," mm-hmm. and for me, it's not that it's 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 a song of mine on my record or something like that. It's just like one of the best mandolin kickoffs I've ever heard, <laughs> and it's so different, and I. And it it sounded so hard but so simple that I, so I, I made myself sit down and learn it and I probably drove Garnet my wife absolutely nuts because that's all I did uh-huh. I, I would just play the kickoff over and over and over and over and I become obsessed with learning to play this uh-huh. and plus it's, it's 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 in B flat and. Me not really knowing how to play a mandolin, I have an idea. I know that B flat's not where you want to live on one, <laughs> so I thought, well, that'll be good because if I can learn how to play this in B flat, well, then that should make the A and the D and the G easier because there's open strings. All right. So I finally learned it. It took a while. I still can't play it like Dipsy because I you can I think you can learn how to play someone's licks but you can't never cop their soul. Yeah. There's a soul about everyone's playing. So, yes, I get into these musical things and I and now uh, I haven't played mandolin in 2 weeks. Mm-hmm. I haven't even picked it up. Um, I'm wanting to play guitar. You know, I'm trying to write songs. And then I and then I'll get in this mood to where that, you know, I want to I'll go through my entire iTunes, which is thousands and thousands of songs, and I'll go through there and try to categorize them. And then I'll, I'll go back and listen to something. And I just, I'll just do that for a long time.
0: So let's pick back up where you uh, left off there in your sort of teenage years. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, so after that sort of period, uh, how'd you
1: get back sort of into playing music? Okay. Well, um, What had happened was I had gotten into trying to learn how to play, you know, some rock guitar, Mm -hmm. because there was always instruments at the house. Now, you know, mom and dad they wanted me; they they were avid churchgoers, and they wanted me to play some gospel music, (laughs) you know. And then every Mm -hmm. once in a while, you know, I'd get the guitar if one of them wasn't around, you know, and I'd play. Down, down, don't you know, yeah. and or something, you know, like that. Try to learn "Stairway to Heaven" by Led right, Zeppelin, right. or mm-hmm. you know something. And uh, so I, you know, I, I just so I always played, and then I met, of all people, um, uh, my 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 first wife, her sister was dating uh, a guy by the name of Alan Bobby. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, uh, you know, I, when I first met him, they said he was a mandolin player. I really didn't know anything about him, right. but I'd met him, and I, you know, he, you know, and he liked sports, and I liked sports, and you know, he played music, and I played music, and so we got a connection there. And he had brought me, um, he had made me some cassettes, you know, because that was the new thing, cassettes. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all out there may not know what that is, but it's this tape <laughs> that spins around this little square thing. Uh-huh. Anyway, I he had gave me a cassette of it was the uh, the rounder JD Crowe in the New South. Uh, he'd given me the uh, Boone Creek One Way Track. He'd given me the Rice and Skaggs uh, solo, you know, their 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 duet record, uh-huh. and he had given me uh, uh, Manzanita by Tony Rice. And that right there forever changed my world mm-hmm. because I had this little Datsun B two ten with a sunroof and it had a cassette player with a sparkmac power booster, you know. And I had some—I <laughs> can't remember if they were coaxials or triaxials in the back window. Yeah. yeah. And man, I would be riding around North Carolina where everybody else would, you know, have their rock and roll turned up. Mm-hmm. Man, I would have—I'd have some JD Crow. Bouncing, you know, yeah. in the car, yeah. you know, or something like that. And I really got into that because that type of harmony it struck a chord and it reminded me back of when I played with my family and that harmonies. Right. And how everybody has to work together as a unit to get this sound because you don't have any effects, there's no pedals, right. there's no distortion. Uh Unless you get too close to the microphone, That's that's <laughs> your, you know... That's it, and and I just absolutely fell in love with that music. And so, Alan he was he was more well equipped. I'll say he was farther along as a musician in bluegrass than I was. So he started showing me things, how to play fiddle tunes, the Gold Rush, uh, you know, whatever songs like that. Some uh, cabin home on the hill, some breaks and stuff like that. And he showed me licks on the guitar. Uh, He's great guitar player as well as he was a mandolin player, and and we would go around to fiddlers conventions. Now the you know you know what they are. They're little mm-hmm. competitions, but usually they're at a high school somewhere at a local place in your community or the local baseball or, field. Yeah, or, somewhere like yeah. that. And you go out and you have a number, and they call your number, and you get up there and and you have a chance to play a song, maybe two, and you get judged they have judges and sometimes you might win a little bit of money or you know better than that maybe even a ribbon right you know <laughs> or whatever and so he would take me around and uh we we put together a little little you know band of local people that were there and and uh, we started playing music that way and so that got me really really back into it because see at and at that time I, I, you know, I was married, you mm-hmm. know. Right. I'm not saying the honeymoon was over, but, the, you know, it was time to go back to playing music. Yeah. And that was, uh, that went, uh, that worked good for me. And it was a good release because at that time, you know, I wasn't a professional musician. You know, I just loved, you know. Getting getting some extra money, going out buying a new set of guitar strings and putting them on and and playing along and and jamming and Lord, I could I'd stay up for two or three days on a weekend, you know, if we could as long as I could, you know how it is. You just don't want to give up the ghost, mm-hmm. and and that was that was probably where you know I learned I learned more about what to do and what not, you know, you know. What the I thought I was I should do, mm-hmm. and then I found out from Terry Balkum, who's one of my heroes that was in Boone Creek, that he I had met him through Alan, and um, that that he knew that there was a job going to be coming available with uh, Alan Mills and Dempsey Young in the Lost and Found. Mm-hmm. You know, I found out that that they had a an opening for a guitar player mm-hmm. and lead singer, and so. I remember I, I I sent them a tape and I got a call back and they were, you know, so I got the job with the lost and found and that's when I started playing it, you know, professionally, semi-professionally anyway, as much as I could, you know, and, uh, that, and, and after that, I pretty much, I knew that's what I wanted to do forever. Yeah. You know, I, I, I there was no doubt about it. I, Didn't mind hard work. I mean, you know, our family farmed, and my dad, you know, painted houses and fixed cars, you know, jack of all trades, and, you know, learned a little bit about a lot. And, uh, but I did learn enough to know that, you know, that, you know, the Lord gave me a talent to make music, and it was a whole lot easier than digging a ditch.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right, well, you uh started to talk about it earlier. Let's uh get back into the joining the Lonesome River band and how that that opportunity came about.
1: Okay? At um well, I had left the the, the Lost and Found. I was a sideman there and uh you know, and you know, bluegrass music, you now it's like this great big it's caught on. It's this this great music and everybody's just now finding out what it is. And they think, man, this stuff, it is the, it is so cool. But, you know, in the wintertime there wasn't a lot of jobs. So you had to, you had to find something else, you know, to, to make a living. And I was married and had two, two daughters. So I got to a point to where that I just had to, um, as much as I wanted to stay and play and be on the road, you know, I, I was a husband and a father. And you know, paying the bills and you know, sending the kids to school and all that—you know—it was more of a priority for me. Right. And right. that was because I didn't really want to miss those years of them growing up and and doing that. So I'd gotten out of it for a while, and, and then you know, my kids are growing, and and then I you know I went up to a a, a picking party up at Alan Mill's house, and there was Tim Austin. Mm-hmm. And he had heard me sing and I was actually singing. They had a you know a little stage set up there and I was I got to pick with the great Gene Parker and you know, different people and we were jamming and and he says, would you be interested in maybe uh, coming singing with us and and uh maybe playing some bass? Mm-hmm. He says, Can you play bass? I said, Well, that was my first instrument. Um uh, I I'm definitely interested. And so he gave me um he gave me a tape of some songs that they had done live a live show and he gave me a copy of uh the Lonesome River Band's Looking for Yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I took that home and listened to that and I thought man now this I love this. I love this it, it sounds young. Yeah. And they were the same age as I, mm-hmm. you know, we were all real close to the same age. Right. So I, I I I let him know immediately that I was interested. And then, so I remember going up to uh, Farron, Virginia, and Tim Austin and Dan Tominsky coming out, and here I am, I'm getting ready to play with them. And I think it was just the day before or something like that, they had made a call to Sammy Sheeler to find out if he would be interested in, in playing banjo. Mm-hmm. So... Sammy and I we show up and we started playing it and it it clicked pretty good, I thought, and evidently they thought that it did too because you know years later and albums recorded, uh we had a pretty successful run at it, yeah, well, that's one of
0: the most influential bands of that period, I think was that uh that combination you and Dan Tamminsky, Sammy Sheeler, and Tim austin
1: well it was it was it was fun for me and and um uh, but but the f- funny thing about it was at first I Tim Austin play, he played bass and I played guitar yeah. on the live shows because uh-huh. gosh I mean for me playing bass and singing was like patting my head and rubbing my belly or maybe it's vice versa <laughs> one of the two but yeah. anyway um uh, and then finally uh, as the shows went on then I would start playing half the bass and he would play half and then finally I got up enough courage to you know to go like, okay, I'm ready. Let's strap this thing on right here, man. We're going on stage, and I'm going to take my licks. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, if it's, and I did. I mean, because I, 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 I would ask myself, am I ever, ever going to get through a show where I don't mess up on this bass? <laughs> and you know what's funny about that? To this day, I still ask myself the same question. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, but that band for me, it was. Uh, I didn't know while we were doing the music the impact that you know people mm-hmm. that came up and told me in later in life how much impacted their life yeah, and I didn't know that to me you know I was just enjoying playing with new friends and and recording music and you know and playing songs and writing them and man, it was just man it was just the best time in the world and and I'm so thankful that I got to be a part a part of that and to create something that you know so far has has lasted. Let's let's keep
0: talking about that particular band for a couple uh, a couple more questions. Uh, so, what was the recording process like for that band? You know, the carrying the tradition
1: and uh... oh oh okay. Well, what, fortunately, what's
0: what's the, the next album?
1: Oh well, old country town.
0: Old country town, and uh, and carrying the tradition. Yeah.
1: So we yeah, the first one that I was had the privilege of being on was uh, carrying the tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, I like the fact that everyone had something, and everyone had a talent, and everyone was involved in some sense or manner. And fortunately for the band, uh, Tim Austin actually owned. And opened a recording studio, so we had a place to record up in around Roanoke in a little place called Ferrum, Virginia, which is a little college town so we so I moved from North Carolina up there to be close to the band and move the family up and we would we were in the studio all the time we just became studio rats, and we just you know, we were always trying to make things up, and I remember we would we would rehearse with click tracks, which I did. I, it was unheard of. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like playing with a drummer that never speeds up and never slows down, and that taught us a lot about timing. You Absolutely. know, and and I I would suggest that anybody that wants to play music, if you can find a metronome or something, all the time. Pull it out and play with a metronome or a click track, a, you know, a loop or something, and it will definitely improve your timing. And we did that a lot. And so after that, the, as far as the recording process went, um, you know, uh, like I was telling you, like Tim gave me some songs and we all brought in some songs and and then I would take my songs home and I would play them for my daughters. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, that you pre know, preteens. So they were very honest. Yeah. If they liked a the song or they didn't like a song, they didn't care either way. <laughs> They're just going to tell Dad the truth, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so they they picked out you know quite a few songs on that carrying the tradition, like Hobo Blues, for example. They mm-hmm. just fell in love with that. They go, Dad, y'all got to do that. And yeah. There are a couple other things, but so we we would we'd go in and and um, and and we built the tracks. Yeah. You know, back then, you know, that was, it was different. It was a different way of going about it, you know, instead so of everybody ex- standing around mics and, which is, that's, that's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with either way.
0: because yeah, there's different, you know, there's but, a lot of different ways of getting to get into the, you know, the yeah, end but, product.
1: Yeah, but Tim, you know, he would, you know, he'd pull out the tape and wrap it around the machine and... And then you know we'd find a speed that we liked the yeah. song to be you know find you know to set a groove you know because you you know just you know a few beats per, per per minute a little bit faster or slower can make or break a song I mean just totally. a little too fast or a little too slow can ruin a song yeah so we got to, found that right speed and once we got the speed we liked well then everybody else you know would you know we'd go in and cut the scratch vocal. You know, you scratch. You know, guitar or or whatever. You know, we deemed the most important thing to put down next, and and we built those tracks. And it took. It, and we took a lot of time, a mm-hmm. lot of painstaking time. And you know, it was. You know, looking back, it, it worked well for us because I think we learned a lot about the recording process because. We took a lot of time to yeah. do it, you know? A lot of times you can tell, like th- that album obviously so good, you
0: can tell that there's been a lot of time and care put into it. And I think that's a good thing. People sometimes ought to do that more. I mean, I know there's, there's merit to uh, a more live feel or a more like let's get in there and do it, but there's also merit in the taking care in each part.
1: Yeah. I mean, music. What's right about it? What's wrong about it? Yeah. I mean... That's a question for the ages for me, mm-hmm. because what I might like about music, someone else might like. You know, someone might be strong into lyrics. Some may be strong into grooves. Yeah. Some may be strong into different rhythm patterns or and stuff like that. It's it's like if it feels good to my ear, I, I'm I, I don't I don't really care how the recording process went down, mm-hmm. as long as it went down and they got it on tape yeah. or hard drive now or whatever but they mm-hmm. they captured it right because you know not all records are are you know if i've been fortunate a few times to go in and get something right off the bat for Mm -hmm. first take. But that's not the norm. Right. You know, I mean, I just didn't pick up a guitar or whatever and start singing and walk into a studio and sound like Elvis. I don't know anybody (laughs) that does. I mean, even before you get to the studio, your preparation, you've done so much work, or you should have. You should have. You should have done a whole lot of work before you ever got there. Mm -hmm. Because once you get there, whatever goes on the mic, that's what you're going to come out of there with.
0: Here's another good question about that, those those records in particular. Did you all practice those songs a bunch beforehand, or were they new songs that you took in and kind of uh, put together in
1: the studio? Well, for the most part, we would sit down before we did the process. Yeah. And played them Mm -hmm. to 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 see how they felt. Yeah, you know, to go, and then you know we would be singing them. It's like, well, is that a good song for your voice? You know, is that is would that be a better song for Dan? Would that be a better song for me? Mm -hmm. You know, is that a song Sammy should play on the banjo, or Mm -hmm. should he pick up a guitar and play three finger style, or, you you know, or 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 whatever. So Uh, it was yeah so we would we, we started out like that but but when we did those when we did those records in particular, then we would go back and, and we would just build and build and, and build and if and because Tim had the studio, we didn't have to look at the clock right because that's a lot of your bill is, mm-hmm. is studio it's time, time yeah. yeah and and at the time you couldn't record in your living room much. you had right. to go to a recording studio. And you you needed a good engineer, and Tim was really good at that. And mm-hmm. uh, Sammy was also, and Dan, you know, I was probably the the least you know likely to engineer a record. Uh, I thought at the time, but you know, I, I've got to do that too. But I would have never been able to have done that had I not been with a Lonesome River Band, carrying the tradition in old country town, you know, because mm-hmm. of that. And then after. And it was wild because I I learned a lot and decided that I was going to do an album called Cold Virginia Night in the middle of those two records. Mm -hmm. And it was the craziest thing in the world because when they started the Bluegrass and Limited chart, that was the first... Well, carrying uh, carrying the tradition was... I think... uh, Somebody can fact check this. I could be (laughs) wrong, but I think it was the very first number one album. Mm -hmm. And then... I remember when that album was coming off, or I think this is the way it was. This was many years ago. I the, I had done a record on Rebel uh, 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 on, on the same label that we did Carrying the Tradition with, and it won Album of the Year. So other people liked the way we, we recorded it too, and they would come up and go, "Hey, how can we get that sound?" You know, yeah. and all that. And it's kind of like. Well, I mean, your sound's going to be your sound, and there's really not much one can do about that other than to help lead you in a direction. But anyway, so I went in and cut a rebel record called Cold Virginia Night. And I did it the same way as I did, as we did carrying the tradition. And it was like that one moved off the charts, and then Cold Virginia Night moved up the charts. And then when that one came off, the next thing you know, old country town's back. And and so I run there... um, we couldn't have planned it any better,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know. That I did a solo record because that, because it, the, the Lonesome River band was all over my solo record. Yeah. And basically, it was, it was a lot of the sound. Mm-hmm. And then, then we came out with another one and there it was. And the sound just sort of stuck and people liked it. And we were really, really, you can call it luck or fortune. Or bless or blessing, and that's I choose to believe the latter that you know there was someone looking out for us a whole lot better and a whole lot higher up than we were on the ladder.
0: I'm gonna ask a question if you don't want to answer it, totally cool. Like, it's uh, it's tough for some people to look like on the spot think of this, but uh, obviously, with those guys, Dan, I've, I've played with Dan, uh. Tim Austin traveled with us when uh, when I was playing with Dan. I've been around Sammy some, like uh, you know, good all good guys and fun to be around. I'm sure there's a lot of like stories and things. Is there a particular
1: one that sticks out to you that you could tell on? Oh uh, yeah, on I could. Podcast? There's one especially about Dan. Uh, <laughs> I have some for all of them, but this was yeah. the first one that came to mind. Yeah, we were going through Texas. And, uh, and I remember that, you know, they had uh, uh, a lot of, uh, I knew that when, by going there, you know, I I, I like to drink beer and, and I, and they had Pearl beer Mm -hmm. and it was a pretty big deal because you couldn't get it anywhere. And I, I don't know, people in Texas may hear this and go, goodness, you, I would never (laughs) touch it. But anyway, the story is, is we got in to eating uh, these peppers you know, the, you know, you know, you get them at Water Burgers. They're, they're 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 pickled jalapeno peppers. All right. Well, and then we would stop at restaurants. Well, I've always liked spicy food. Mm-hmm. You know, and Dan would go, "You're going. This is really hot. This is really hot." And I'd like, "Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hot." And but he, I don't think he really ever liked it because I never got really burnt. You know, <laughs> you know, I I would never pick up a habanero and eat it. I'm not that crazy, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I like stuff spicy. So we're in this red Ford Econoline van and I'm in the shotgun seat and Dan's directly behind me. Anybody's ever been in one of those 16 passenger vans, you know exactly where he is and where I'm at. And so he came up, he's like, i tell you what, you, I'll match you pepper for pepper. And, <laughs> yeah. and I knew that he couldn't eat. He, yeah. There's no way he's going to eat as many <laughs> peppers as I could, which yeah. I don't know why that's some sense of a badge of yeah. honor or right. something. But oh, nevertheless, but is, I thought, yeah. well, I'll get him. <laughs> I'll, I'll tear him up because yeah. he's going to, you know, he's going to get tore up by these peppers. Right. So we, he, get, you know, he'd hand me one. I'm facing the highway he's sitting directly behind me and then he's he eats a pepper so we both chomp down on the first one then and he he makes a face you know and I'm like it's pretty hot you know (laughs) I know you know and I'm just kind of smiling and and he goes all right you ready and I'm thinking oh yeah let's do another one Uh so long story short we're So I'm thinking we're both eating these peppers. Mm -hmm. But what Dan did, this was low down and dirty. He all he did was hold on to a stem of the very first pepper that he ate. Yeah. And I thought there's I am not going to let him, you know, out eat me who eats peppers all the time. You know, it's like I'll be so embarrassed. So anyway, he would take a he would take that stem and he would Make a face, and he'd go, mm. yeah. And he would, if you could see my face, you'd know if you've ever ate a pepper, it's hot. Mm-hmm. Well, so anyway, he's, I, I don't know how many I ate, maybe 10, maybe 15. I don't remember exactly the number. I do remember that I I had to have the them pull off the road and take me somewhere because <laughs> I felt like that, that I was going to die inside. I was <laughs> I was hurting so bad yeah. from this, and then found out, and and Dan actually took a picture <laughs> of the of him holding the one stem yeah. of a jalapeno, uh-huh. and then. So anyway, he played a trick on me. So every time he was just using that stem, he never he ate the same one. He only ate one, and <laughs> I ate all the rest of them. And he thought that was just the funniest thing. But I did get him back. But the second part of that story, how I got him back, I really can't tell this on the radio. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about songwriting. Uh, I know we took a while there, but. Um... Well, you, after you know, kind of uh, leaving the Lonesome River Band, moved to Nashville, like you said, and uh, got into co-writing. Uh, how many, do you know how
1: many songs you've written over the years? No. Um, I had written a few before, you know, I came down here. Sure. The, because why I started writing songs, I was about, um, I, I was 14 years old, I think. 13, 14, or 15, somewhere around there and and my mother she uh, we were sitting um you know in in our gracious mobile home that we lived in and said son have you ever thought about writing a song and I, I said no ma she said well would you would you try to write me a song Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed the guitar, and I went back and i and I wrote my mom a song it It was a gospel song, and it was real simple and three chords and and it and this was like you know I was just a teenager my very first attempt and and I wrote her a gospel song, and it was uh, and it went, "We're not alone. He always walks beside us." We're not alone, he can and will guide us. We're not alone, he drives away the shadows I know. And when he comes knocking, I hope that you'll let him in. Mm -hmm. The most simplest thing in the world. It was my first attempt, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't that great, but my mom was very proud of it. And and that made me feel good, like I honored her Mm -hmm. and did something that made her proud. Out of me, and so from that moment, from about 13 years old, that's when I started writing songs. And I always carried around a notebook somewhere because you never knew when something was going to come up or somebody'd say something. Mm-hmm. And uh, wrote a lot of bad songs, horrible, just horrible, <laughs> horrible songs. I've, I've found a few of them, you know, in my latter years now, and I look back at them. But what I do love about those songs is I, I saw. Where I have grown mm-hmm. and and I do that still today i've i- I look back at songs and and if I could go back and rewrite them, I would, but you can't go back and unscramble eggs right, right. so i you know you I just kept moving on and moving on and moving on, but my mom got me into writing songs and um so um wrote a few songs, bluegrass songs played them for. The LRB, we cut a few of them, um, and then um, time goes by. Moving forward, I get a call from a a producer that used to produce uh, Alabama, Keith Whitley, and uh, uh, Brooks and Dunn, uh, several, but too many to mention, but I'd gotten a call one day, and he wanted me to come to to Nashville, and uh, he had heard... A song called Midwestern Town mm-hmm. on uh, his boat down here on the Cumberland in Nashville. And um, they didn't, uh, I don't know if he turned in tuned in a little late, but he told me that he, it took him a little while to find me because he didn't hear the, uh, the name right. of who it was. He, right. he didn't know who it was, so he, had, he found that out and you know he gave me a call. And wanted to know what I'd be interested in coming to Nashville and hanging out and, you know, going in the studio and maybe trying to write a few songs and go and record them. And so, so then I got to be around, I'm not going to say better songwriters, but a, but a whole different class of songwriters and a whole lot more songwriters, right. you know, because the town's full of them and, and filled with great, great songwriters right. and they're all here in one place. And so he, you know, I came down here in uh, 2001, and I got a, a a publishing deal, a writer deal over at Sony uh, ATV Tree Music Publishing here in Nashville on Music Row, and um, wrote a lot of songs with Don and uh, different, just a lot of different songwriters here: Dean Dillon, um, uh, Shucks, John Scott, Sherrill, uh, anyway, you could probably if these guys, you know, they they're, they taught me a lot, and I was willing to learn as much as I could, you know, and, and I knew that I was the rookie, mm-hmm. I was the rookie songwriter in the room, yeah. and I I paid a lot of attention, and I and I learned some cool passing chords and different ways to do a melody and different ways to think about something, and and what does it really mean to you? Does it does it does it just rhyme and that's all, or it, it just answered a lot of questions that I didn't know that I was asking or that I was in search of. Yeah. But when I, so I, I, I learned from the absolute best songwriters in the world. I mean, you can't learn everything from, from, from everyone, but you can take a little bit of some someone with you. And that's what I feel like that I did. So, and so I was, I I wrote songs over at Sony. Um, I was with them for 14 years. Um, and and in that time, I'd had you know several songs cut by uh, um, Lee Womack. I'd had some songs cut by uh, Don Williams. I had some songs cut. I actually had a song cut by uh, George Strait, and but it didn't make the album, and I was really disappointed about that. Uh, had some songs cut by Brooks and Dunn, Kenny Chesney um uh, and and then, in the meantime, too, you know, I'm still you know having songs cut by some of my friends junior sisk and and you know third time out and you know some people in bluegrass and but anyway, you could but as far as the you know, I had songs recorded by several people and and i was I thought it was easy i you know I thought, man, this is man i why didn't I do this before? I should have moved to Nashville and started <laughs> writing songs because you know right out of the box man I get a number 1 song
2: uh-huh.
1: by Brooks and Dunn yeah and then right after that I, I you know there's another I, I you know that, that I co-wrote with Don Cook called us getting better all the time mm-hmm. and then the next song I co-wrote with Chris Stapleton um never it's a song called never wanting nothing more well that one goes number 1 for 7 weeks mm-hmm. you know with Kenny Kenny Chesney and I'm like Man, this <laughs> man, this is easy. I don't know why yeah. everybody thinks this is so hard. Uh-huh. I should have been doing this years ago, but come to find out, it wasn't that it was easy. It was a you know, and I think it was a whole lot of luck and a whole lot of time and and um, and then you know, right after that, you know, it was it, it took a while to get in, you know some songs cut, and I thought, wow, maybe this is harder than I thought. But uh, anyway, I've been real lucky, and and you know, there's there's a lot of great songwriters here that's had a whole lot more cuts than I've had. But I'm really thankful and and feel very fortunate that not only that I get had songs played on you know Billboard magazine and on country radio and across the country, but But more so, the people that I've got to sit in the room with, Mm -hmm. because that's a whole you get to you get to spend time with someone, and and if you're lucky, you become friends with them and you get to know them, and then you know, and and that looking back and still looking forward, um, that's one thing that I enjoy about the songwriting is being able to spend that time making something up. That before you got together, and, and and as far as co-writing goes, that did not exist. Right. And I really like making things up mm-hmm. because it's kind of hard for me to copy other people. Yeah. <laughs> and that way I won't be judged against anyone else. Right, right.
0: All right. So awesome. Um, we could spend... A long time going through, on my behalf, going through your solo albums, each one of them, because I, they're some of my favorite albums. I mean, I think they're just really great, really great songs on all of them. But I'll, I'll definitely talk about those albums in the either the beginning or end
1: of this yeah. show. Well, about the solo records, yeah. I really I really appreciate uh, uh, Dave Freeman at Rebel Records because... It got. I never probably would have taken the chance and opportunity to, or maybe it would have been a long time coming for me to ever think about doing a solo record. Mm-hmm. I that record wasn't intended to be nothing more than just, you know, something I could take and sell on the road. I didn't even know it would be on a record label. And I talked to Dave Freeman, and you know, and he he gave he gave the money up for me to get that record recorded and right. really i was fortunate enough to on that very first one to get to do a song that i wrote and got dale mccurry to sing it with me that was that's one of my favorites and and that whole record i got to record with you know Allison kraus and tony mm-hmm. rice and the some the lonesome river band and you know don rigsby um I, I, there's just a lot of musicians on there. Barry Bales actually came and put the bass on it for me, which he, gosh, he really helped me a lot. And and just it was just it was just a dream to be able to 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 have that happen. And like I said, all I wanted to do is just have a little project to sell. And little did I know that. You know that the awards would come along. It was album of the year. I got to be. I was. I, I got to be male vocalist of the year because of that album. the The, the song actually got to be song of the year, "Cold Virginia Night." Uh, it was nominated for several more, but I lost out. You know, I had two uh, recorded events of the year categories that year: one with Tony Rice and one with Allison Krauss. And you know. Uh, I forget exactly which one it was exactly, but so basically, um, that record done more for me uh, to to kind of set me apart, you know, from mm-hmm. you know other other people. I was very lucky, and then that made me want to do another album. And then when you're doing your next album, it's I think it's harder than your first, yeah, because you're. Now they, now you've done this, but now what are you going to do? And right. and if you don't do a, if you don't do something that's better than the first one you did, in people's, I, I think in most people's, uh, you know, points of view, that it's not as good. Right. You've got to beat it, uh-huh. and so, it's so you constantly, I was always competing against myself and my last thing, not mm. against anyone else, because. Right. I can't do what everybody else does. Everybody's good at what they do, and mm-hmm. I and I I try to take the things that I'm good at on my records and make them my strong points. Yeah. And then that's what I've been doing ever ever since, you know, and I've been really blessed to have been started out with, you know, the Lost and Found and, and go with the Lonesome River band and and now have the Band of Rooks and you know just got to Got to live the life.
0: Yeah, let me ask about one one of those in particular. Uh-huh. Um, what's the What's the name of the one with Crazy Train and
1: uh, Oh, uh, uh, it's getting better Mountain. all the time.
0: It's getting better. So on the it's getting better all the time and record in, in particular. I want to point out to a song like The Mountain, Crazy Train. Some of these songs, like um, my question would be musically. There's so much in those songs that support the song itself. Were a lot of those things your ideas, or were you just kind of letting everybody play and do what they do? Or did you have a lot of the the idea, ideas in particular about, oh, uh, on this, we need to have this happen?
1: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start out by saying this. Um, the songs themselves, the mountain that I co-wrote with Tom Shepard, um, it was just a good day for a song. Yeah. And Crazy Train... Was written in an RV <laughs> um, with uh, Steve Thomas and and Robbie Melton, and I remember with with the mountain that um, w- when uh, I started playing it for you know the guys that was in my band, mm-hmm. um, they th- they they commented that that was a good song, yeah. you know, and I thought, well, I like it, you know, but yeah. you know, I appreciate that, and then with and then you know, with with the song Crazy Train, that song, I wanted to write a tradition with Crazy Train. I wanted to write a traditional song that sounded like it was old, like uh-huh. doing my time, or uh, you know, don't give your heart to a round or to to a round or you know, whatever. I just so when we started writing the song, it was very weird. I said whatever this one song does, I want to do exactly the opposite <laughs> I want to go backwards mm-hmm. you know to create something and I've never done that since never done it before right but wherever something changed I wouldn't change there mm-hmm. and wherever it went I would go the opposite if it went up I went down mm-hmm. so when we were when we when we were creating that uh, on that album it's getting better all the time i knew i did know exactly what i want and i did know exactly what i wanted the record to do when i went in there because i this was my baby yeah and i'd already had it worked out in my head and i remember uh we went in recorded and i probably probably you know I, i don't guess i made anybody too uncomfortable but i knew what i wanted and i would sit in the floor you know because we started out with not a click track but with uh with a mandolin chop, mm-hmm. and we got a chop a, a chop that was just in a good groove and and then we just looped it. I remember doing that yeah and and my mission was to make this record sound like it was all recorded live mm-hmm. that was that was my intentions, and I think that I came really close yeah. if if you could with yeah. that one because it was all recorded, and what I did is once I got that, I would sit it there and I'd sing the song with me and the guitar and I did the whole song and how I wanted it arranged. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then I had my scratch. So, and then, and then I knew where I wanted somebody to play and I kind of knew what I wanted them to sound like. I knew I wanted Dobro and I know I knew I wanted it to sound something like this, you know, but I gave them their freedom to be their person and their player. But I also had it, where I wanted it to go,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I remember on that kickoff, which is one of my favorite guitar kickoffs ever on Crazy Train, mm-hmm. it's White Rice doing this. You know, I didn't know what he was going to do, but I remember that. You remember the uh, Tony Rice kickoff of Doing My Time? You yeah, know, yeah. where it's <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Right. I'm not going to keep uh-huh. going over that, but the kickoff to that, I wanted something like that. Uh-huh. And, and I thought, because he's Wyatt Rice, <laughs> he could get away with a little more than another guitar player because he can't help but sound like right. a Rice because uh-huh. that's who he is. Right. So I asked Wyatt to try something. Mm-hmm. I said, is there any way for you to start at the bottom and I mean, go to the top?
0: The opposite way. Go the way, opposite right. way like
1: mm-hmm. we were talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. So that's how this song all came about. And, and then once it was done it sounded old, but fresh. And so that, that, that album getting better all the time to answer your question. I, I, that's the one record I knew uh, what I wanted pretty much before I got there. And I remember on the song, The Mountain, that there came a thunderstorm that day and we, uh, Steve Thomas opened up the window and we stuck a, we stuck an old, mic out not outside, but up to there because the thunder was real loud and it was raining mm-hmm. and that's the that we actually record- that happened it's- the day we recorded the mountain yeah, yeah. and then where, where I mixed it up at uh, up at wyatt's place up in up in uh, uh uh up close to uh Abington Johnson City area you know and uh Taylor's mountain up there, and it was a really old. Place And when we were mixing it, The Mountain, it just, it felt like this is the essence of this record. Mm -hmm. This whole record, you know, I almost called the album The Mountain. Mountain. And the reason that I didn't was because right before that, Steve Earle came out with a record that he recorded. And I think it was with the Del McCurry bands called The Mountain. Yeah. And so I couldn't call it The Mountain, but that's what I wanted to call it.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, uh, I mean, I think uh, why... I mean, I could point to each person on the record, but Wyatt in particular played like a lot of really good stuff on that song, The Mountain. He keeps doing this uh, pull off, a particular thing that I think like so adds to that song. It's such a minor detail in some people's eyes, it would be. But to me, like, I hear that every time and I go, oh man, that's so cool that they decided to like keep going back to that one
1: particular thing. Well, I think in music, there has to be there's got to be a relative point somewhere, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean because if 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 you if there's no common ground or somewhere to go back to a, a base, mm-hmm. you know, a home base of a point of reference, a point of light, you know, if you can find something that you can do over again. You can call it a hook or whatever you right, want, right. but if you can do that and it doesn't sound overdone, but it sounds like it's supposed to be there every time, then you've pretty much gotten lucky. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I did there, and especially having Wyatt on the record. He, the rhythm he pulled out of that record, made it so much—I think—so much easier for everyone one to play with because he was, he was one of the first ones that went in. Mm-hmm. I mean, playing, being the rhythm player. Right. And then, you know, he and I mainly him. Um, I just, you know, tried not to mess up and I, you know, I never considered myself, you know, a great guitar player, but why really made me feel good about being a guitar player. He, he made me feel like you can do that. Mm-hmm. You could do that. You know, where before, you know, like, um, I may be around a musician and I'd be intimidated, you know, and I still am to a certain point, you know, because I I have my insecurities as much as anybody else. But I, you know, I, I, but he made me feel like you could do this. And I remember mixing that record there at his house. You know, he would, you know, I got to hear it over and over and over and his guitar breaks and all this. and, And I got to learn he showed me how to play Crazy Train, uh-huh. and and that's not easy. Right. And sometimes I can get it, and most times I can't. It's hard. Yeah. You yeah. know, but for him, it just seems like it just rolls off the guitar or off mm-hmm. the pick, rather. But he, uh, yeah, he set it. He set the groove for that for sure. Well, man,
0: uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, tell people where they can find the band
1: of rooks and your music. Okay, bandofrooks.com, you can go there. Um, Of course, there's always Google, you Mm -hmm, know, you can find it on there. And and it's it's spelled Band of Rooks, R-U-H-K-S. It's uh, the original spelling that comes from Persia, and it basically means a chariot. They dressed them up as towers to look like little small castles, and they'd have uh, archers in there that would go out to battle and... Looked like a whole bunch of castles were coming at you in a battlefield and it terrorized everybody. I hope we will not terrorize you, but uh, maybe in a good way. But that's, anyway, so that's where you get, uh, that's where the word rook comes from. Um, that's, you know, the chess piece and, uh, on the, and uh, that's the castle. And uh, anyway, so we thought it was a cool way of spelling rook and so we took it. So it's bandofrooks.com. And you can find them on Facebook. Yeah, we're and... on Facebook. They say we're on Twitter too. Okay, uh, I don't do a lot of that, uh, but it's there. Uh-huh. And uh, you still have RonnieBowman.com? dot yeah, com. Yeah, yeah, I still have, a, and I have a Ronnie Bowman Facebook. That's uh-huh. on there. So check that out. I, you know, I hear there's some cool pictures and stuff on there, and maybe some videos and stuff. Yeah, so I'm on Facebook. It's a music page, so you know I. I guess you gotta go to that uh-huh. is there a difference there is okay and uh and so
0: you can check out the the schedule and and go see the bend of rooks somewhere next year, two thousand sixteen mm-hmm. yeah, or this year by the time it comes out, so yeah, come see us <laughs> all right hey, thanks again for tuning in and be sure to come back for the next episode with Mac Wiseman and continue to 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 listen to each episode and you can subscribe on iTunes and you can have them uh, automatically delivered to the device of your choosing. So thanks a lot and I'll see you next time.